truly ministered. We've had those in the sound booth who've cared for uh, everything that, that needs uh, microphones, our music, our, our video displays, and all of that. Um, I just want to thank the Lord for, for each of you. Many of you were here just to greet people and to uh, be a warm uh, welcome, uh, and I appreciate that. Uh, Brother Charles is always first one here, uh, early, early, early. Um, and what, what was challenging is this is the first time that we have ever had um, two funerals back to back <clears throat> and both of them to be significant funerals. I mean, members of our church who have been faithful men and families that are so close to our church. And, and I just want to say how much you came through. I've asked people to pray for me, and I know I felt those prayers that uh, God did what, um, what only he was able to do. I want to thank Chantel uh, for her music. She, she plays an hour before the service and during the service and after the service for two consecutive days. I want to thank uh, God for Brian for joining her in music and helping me serving in his first official uh, as official uh, elder in the church and, and having a part in both um, services and uh, that ministry was a blessing and especially serving today. Um, what a blessing it is to, to be able to have that time uh, off and I, I appreciate that. Uh, actually I hadn't even thought about it and Andy came to me and he said you know pastor this is why we have an elder here. <laughs> so you don't have to have the burden of always presenting God's word, especially in times like this. And so um, I listened to him and I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> and it really did. And this was, wasn't a stretch at all. I don't know why I just didn't think of it in the first place. But thank you, Andy, for, for presenting that and for Brian for being willing to do that and being ready and qualified to do that. And that really takes the burden off of me, um, and, and I, I appreciate that. <clears throat> um, so I just wanted to, to, to say thank you. Um, you know, if you realize it or not, um, my dad was, um, he has served in ministry um, since he came to know Christ when he was 24 years old. But this is what you ought to know. In the, every place that he served, he was here the longest. He served here twice as long that he had served as pastor or assistant pastor anywhere else in his life. And so I know you felt close to him and he felt close to you. He had shared with me how he wanted his service to be we had talked about it years ago, and we had talked about it throughout the years. He wanted it here. This is his home, and he wanted you to be a part of that. And I just so thank you for, for uh, allowing that to happen and, and being a part of that. He was, um, my dad was extremely proud of, of me, um, but for, for, for this reason, for what God had used me for, one, in starting this church that he loved, and he was connected with. And he saw it as a church that stood on the word of God and lived it out. That's what he was about. And he was proud of this church. And he was proud of me for another reason, because of what God had used to produce from me, and that is my family, my children. He was extremely proud 
of you, Jeremy, Brian, Chantel, and your families. The reason why he was so proud is because he could see you living for the Lord, and it's real and it's vibrant. So I praise God for that. I'm proud of that as well, and I just wanted to share that with you. I couldn't say all that at the funeral, but I needed to say it today. I want you to know how much he loved Sweet Communion. He, before he went into the hospital, <clears throat> he asked me if the church brochures had been updated, and he wanted a group of them, and I gave him a group of them, because he went in the hospital and he passed those out. Everybody on that floor knew who my dad was, and he told them, if you don't go to church somewhere, I know a church where God's word is preached, it's lived, and people are faithful serving the Lord. And he gave those out. And so um, he, he was consistent in his testimony, in his love for sweet communion, um, because of how you've lived for the Lord and how you persevered through the years. So I just wanted to, to share that, that with you and, and say thank you at the same time. All right, let's look at God's word today. We'll look at Isaiah, and we'll start with Isaiah chapter 8, verse 11, is it? Through 9, 7. 8, 11 through 9, 7. So let's turn in your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, raise your hand. Our ushers will bring one to you. And then as you raise your hand, let's stand in respect to the reading of God's word. Isaiah 8, verse 11 through 9, verse 7. <clears throat> so let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Follow along with me as I read aloud. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. For the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, and they shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the, and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. They will not speak according to this word. It is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish 
and they, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot in the, tramp, in the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, <clears throat> and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We pause now for a word of prayer. We pray that God will give us understanding in this text of scripture that we read. If you remain standing with me in a moment of prayer, after prayer, a choir will come with special music. We thank you, Father, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for this week's events that you allowed the testimony of Duane, the testimony of my dad, to, to be shared in a group that needed to hear the gospel. Some who know the gospel but haven't submitted to it. Some who know have submitted but continually need to be reminded of it. That's all of us, Lord. We thank you. So we thank you. We pray, Lord, that you would impress upon the hearts who heard your word, who felt the love and the fellowship, who heard the testimonies uh, of these two men. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow that message to keep ringing in their ears. I pray that you would produce fruit of salvation and that you would uh, show them that they have been shown the way, and that way is in Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll continue to point that out. I pray, Lord, that, that some will come to trust Christ as Lord and Savior as a result of what's been shared in this past week. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for how they have come together, how they have shown a great love and great support. I thank you for that, Lord. I don't know how we did it, and yet I know how we did it. It, you, you have things come on us in a way that there's no way we can do it without your power and without your grace. And we acknowledge now, Lord, that you have showed up, and we thank you for that. You have showed through this people that you are able to, to use them to minister to many. And I thank you for that. Now I pray, Lord, that you would bless 
the preaching of your word today. I thank you for Brian. I thank you for him submitting himself to you and for preparing for this moment and being ready with your word. We pray, Lord, that you give, help us to give attention to your truth today and that you would speak in, in a mighty way. Your Holy Spirit will use um, your word through his voice to speak to us, to minister as you would have us to, to be ministered to. We pray this now and thanking you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. He's giving me strength. I'm thankful for his word. I'm thankful for him putting a word in my mouth today. You know, sometimes the word is like a spring that just jumps out of the ground for you. And other times it's like you're wrestling with something that you met in a fog. You can't quite see it clearly, but you're still wrestling with it, wrestling with it, wrestling with it. And today, I was wrestling. Wrestling, wrestling. So many thoughts in the mind. So many things going on. But God gave me a word. So I appreciate him for that. And I thank God for it. And I think the word is appropriate. As I was thinking about it, I was like, how can I speak to the Christmas season and the fact that we had two funerals this week? How can we minister to saints that could be weary? How can I minister to myself? How can we minister to all these things? And the Lord's word has the answer. And the thing about it is that this is Christmas season. Christmas season. It's a season that we're supposed to be thinking about the birth of Christ. And that's why I picked the passage that I did. And I was thinking more about the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah and Daniel are uniquely hated by Christian skeptics. These books are so hated because they predict the future accurately. And so people say, well, they had to have been edited later. But there's no evidence of any editing. So it's really hard for them to make that argument. But they still going to make it, right? Because an ignorant person doesn't need any evidence to make an ignorant statement. They just going to say what they say. But Isaiah speaks boldly about the future. And Isaiah ministered at least 64 years. And if you come to our Bible study on Thursday, and I'll put a little commercial in for our Bible study. It's open to anybody, no matter what age range you have. And on Bible study, we're going through the book of Isaiah. And we've had a blessed time going through the book of Isaiah. We were going through narratives, and now we're going through this book of Isaiah. And if you know anything about Isaiah, he served 64 years at least. Now, rumor is that he served over 74 years. But we know he served at least 64 because at the beginning of his book, he lists all the kings that he served under. And if you know how to look in Chronicles or Kings, you can see how long they reigned. So you know he reigned as a prophet at least 64 years. And there's more background history on Isaiah that Isaiah was in the royal line. Now he was not king. 
because his father was the brother to the king. But Isaiah didn't get treated any better for that because at the end of his life, he was the father-in-law to the king named Manasseh, who was an evil king, and he killed Isaiah. But Isaiah had access to the king, and maybe that's why he was able to go up boldly to Hezekiah and talk to him. Maybe that's why he has such a great relationship with all these kings that we see through the book of Isaiah, and we see it in the books of Chronicles. We see Isaiah interacting with these kings in a special way. But Isaiah had some history. And Isaiah had history into a nation that he loved, and you got to think about it, he was of the royal class. But he didn't preach about the greatness of Israel and the greatness of Judah. He preached about the judgment to come. And that couldn't have made him popular at home. And that's ultimately why he got killed. Because it's not popular to talk about things even amongst your own family, if you're speaking truth. But Isaiah is known throughout Scripture for his unique insights into God's judgment and into God's sovereignty. So if you look at the book of Romans, Isaiah is going to be quoted. You're looking at difficult parts of the Bible, and all of a sudden they'll just, boom, drop Isaiah. And Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, has lots of times where he is just speaking with God. And, you know, I analogized it, you know. I, I, had to, I, I hate to admit it, but I do, do still love a little bit of rap music. And when you listen to rap music, every once in a while, somebody will be dropping a verse. And then the main character come in and bust in on the verse, right? He just be like, boom, he drops a line. He's like, oh, my goodness. He drops some fire on that verse. And that's what Isaiah does. Isaiah be sitting there, he be spitting some lines, and then God just jumps on the mic. <laughs> right? The beat drop. Ba-boom. God is in there. He enters with his verse. You be sitting there like, whoa, God, I didn't know you was on this track. <laughs> but he's on there. And this particular prophecy is about the people of Israel facing their impending extinction. So it's a heavy prophecy. It's a heavy prophecy, but I want to start with this verse that seems unrelated. I'm going to just read it. James 1, 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. But we're facing extinction, Isaiah. But we're back in Isaiah 8. And read with me here. He says, For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people. The first part of it, verse 11 through 15, is the Lord's warning. His strong hand was on Isaiah. And the analogy of the strong hand is one of two ways. One is... It was a teacher that was holding a kid's hand to keep him where he was or the hand on the shoulder to keep the kids where he was. But the strong hand was meant to say, no, you got to hear this. 
Okay, you can't run away. You have to receive this. So the Lord's strong hand was on Isaiah, and he didn't necessarily want to hear this. But it was a message that left an impression because it was a message that was essential to the work of the prophet. And his message is, don't walk like these people. Now, there's a problem. Because you can offend people so quickly if you say those people. (laughs) See, because for you to not walk like these people, there has to be a distinction between you and them. And the problem is, distinction means pointing out differences And pointing out differences causes offenses. Don't walk like those people. Woo! You people. You know, there's some phrases that they tell you not to use as a manager at work. You people. Those people. Them over there. You're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to say that, but Isaiah said it. Isaiah said it, so already we sitting there tiptoeing like, what is he going to say next? He's got two things that he wants to point out that we shouldn't walk like those people. Yeah, those people. Don't call a conspiracy what they call a conspiracy. Now, what does that mean? What's a conspiracy? Well, a conspiracy is when men plot together to do something. And the people of Israel were facing extinction. And they were saying, you know why we're facing extinction? Because Babylon is allied with this country. You know why we're facing extinction? Because we didn't ally with the Syrians. We should ally with the Assyrians. We should get Egypt on our side. In other words, they viewed the cause and solution to their problems to be in the hands of men. The reason we're facing extinction is because Babylon's got an army that's over a million strong. The reason we're facing extinction is because we're between Babylon and Egypt. They both hate each other, but they both hate us. How can we defend from the north and the south? We could barely defend from one direction. We want to ally with the Assyrians, but we know what they did to Israel. All these men surround us. What can we do? Well, there's got to be some clever solution where we can work together with these men to solve this. But the problem with that is you view the cause of your problem as man and you view the solution as man. Don't walk like these people. Do not see the cause of your problem as man and the solution to your problem as man. The second one is related to it. Don't fear what they fear. Don't fear what they fear. See, they fear what man will do or think. But in the fear of man, there is no space for the fear of God. When you fear man, you cannot fear God. When you fear God, there is no space to fear men. See, I was thinking about this, and there was two men that kept popping in my head. I was thinking about Brother Dwayne and my grandfather. 
Because here's the thing, Brother Dwayne, every once in a while he did something that we would all laugh out, but, but the thing about it is Brother Dwayne didn't care what people think. Not in a rude way, but he wanted to serve the Lord. And my grandfather, Kenner, he didn't fear men. And the problem is there's a lot of people in my family who want to do what my grandfather does, but they fear men. Mm -hmm. They care too much what other people think. And the problem is, they don't want to do like what my dad did. Years ago, there was a funeral for a man we knew wasn't saved. And the family wanted to put that man into heaven. And so they told my dad that they wanted him to put him in heaven. And my dad didn't put him in heaven. And they were offended. And you'll see those people come around every once in a while, but they will not stay because they're still offended to this day. See, if you fear man, you can't give that sermon. If you fear man, you can't give somebody a funeral and say, don't be like him. But the message of salvation offends because it makes a distinction. It says, don't be like those people. And guess what? When you say don't be like those people, don't you know those people still around? They heard you. They ain't happy that you call them them people. They looking at you like, you talking about me? Then they whisper to their friend, I know he ain't talking about me. No, he talking about me too. If you care about what people think, this is not the business for you. See, we got to fear God, not man. Peter said, you, it's, it's, it's up to you whether you do what you do, but as for us, you got to judge whether it's right for us to serve God or serve man. They had just got done beating the apostles. Now, Peter could have moderated. He could have said, you know, I'm going to try to draw out the gray line between what you guys think and what I think. And Paul could have did that too. Paul could have said, you know what, what's wrong with obeying the law? Let's obey the law and let's obey the scriptures. Let's do it both. Why not? It's not like the law is bad, right? We could be like other churches. Let's put Black Lives Matter signs up here. Why not? We black, and black lives do matter. Forget about the fact that it's led by three lesbian women. Forget about the fact that they push things that we shouldn't be doing. Forget about the fact that it supports transgenderism. Forget about all that. We black. We black. People are going to forgive us for getting a little bit too overeager. Yeah, that's right. Let's create a middle line. Shoot, we might even get more people in here. Maybe some of them activists can get on here. You know how many followers they got on Facebook? Yeah. You know, our Facebook Live, we don't necessarily get over 100. But some of them people got thousands of followers. Get one of them in here, uh-huh. Put up a little Black Lives, Black Lives Matter sign, uh-huh. Yeah, we can get some people. We could save souls. We could save souls. Let's do it. Let's do it. We'll reach more people. Let's be more open. Don't fear man. Don't fear man. 
thus saith the Lord, will never be a popular message. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when I say all, I say me, but when I say all, I say you. And when I say you, I mean right now. Yet right now you have failed. And right now you are far short from the glory of God. Right now there is a gulf between you and your God that cannot be breached except by the Son of God. Right now you are so far from salvation it is hopeless. Unless you would turn from your wicked ways that you just did right now. And turn to the Son of God. Nobody want to hear that. Nobody want to hear that. See, if you fear God, he said, I will be a sanctuary. And we love that part. And it's true. If you fear God, he will be your place of salvation. That's what a sanctuary is. Remember the old movie, Sanctuary, Sanctuary, right? But sanctuary is a place where you can't get attacked. In other words, God will be your house of salvation. But that's not all he is. See, because as he is your sanctuary, he is somebody else's stone of offense. And the problem is we cannot understand that the two are the same. He can't save you without tripping up somebody else. And the problem with Israel was they wanted to see their solution as man-focused, but Isaiah said this judgment to come is from God. And so the only solution is God too. Isaiah was pointing forward and saying, so what if we win the war but we lose our souls? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? And the stone of offense got close to home because at first they was like, yeah, you know, both houses of Israel. And people could be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Jerusalem, whoa, that's where I live. Many people will fall. Why? See, it's not a pleasant message all the time. Many people will fall, but why do they fall? They fall because of grace. You might say, man, how can people fall because of grace? What do the Jews do? What do the Jews do? The Jews believe that they can earn their way to salvation because of the law. By following the law, they believe they can save themselves. Their own pride gets in the way of their understanding of grace. What do Muslims do? Muslims believe that they follow the tenets of Islam and follow the 7th century culture of Muhammad, who was not a nice man, that they will be saved. Catholics believe if they sin, they don't necessarily have to confess they sin to the Lord Jesus, but they have to say a lot of Hail Marys. If they go through these certain sacraments and these ceremonies, hosted by people with, you know, some of the best hats in the world, I got to give them that. But they trip over grace. 
What do the black Hebrew Israelites say? The black Hebrew Israelites say, if you black, you got a shot. If you white, good day. And you got to follow the law. How are they any different than the Jews or the Muslims? See, all these people trip over grace. And let me tell you, you could meet somebody who doesn't have an original religious affiliation. If somebody says something like this, I got to clean myself up before I go to church, they've already tripped over grace. If somebody says I got to follow the Ten Commandments, they already tripped over grace. If somebody says any way of making themselves better before they get here, if anybody says anything other than wretched sinner that I am, have mercy on me. If anybody says anything other than that, they stumble. Now the next section talks about this, wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Now the first section was about looking at God to be the source and the solution of all our problems, right? Let's think of it this way. Why are people not believing? Because they tripped on the stone of offense. Why are people believing? Because they fear God. Look at God as the source and solution. The next section is wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Now, there's some parts in there that can trip us up a little bit. He says, bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among my disciples. Who's saying that? Well, that's God saying that. Remember I told you, Isaiah, sometimes God will drop in a verse. This time he just dropped in a single line. Bind the testimony. Now, that doesn't make any sense to us. If you have a testimony of what God has done for you, why would it be bound? Why would it be sealed? But I'll put it to you another way. Every time that I preach God's word, it's proclaimed to everybody in the room, but it's only revealed to some of the people in the room. Every time we read the scripture, anybody can read the words as long as they're literate, but few can understand it. It's not a matter of intellect. It's a matter of do you have the decoder living inside of you? If you don't have a decoder, it doesn't matter. It's not a clear message to you. The message, to use a modern term, is encrypted. And if you know anything about an encrypted message, you can't get it. Unless you know the password. That password is the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is not in everybody. So therefore, it's bound and sealed. And to most people, it's bound and sealed. The vast majority are bound and sealed. It's only the few that understand. He says, and he's learning his own lessons, right? Because God told him, look at me as a source and solution. He says, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face. Ooh. I will wait for the Lord. The reason why we're in this problem now is because God is hiding his face. But I will hope in him. You see, waiting and hoping are the same thing. Waiting and hoping are the same thing. 
What are we waiting and hoping for? We're waiting and hoping that God will show his face. What does show his face in Scripture mean? Show his face means God smiling on you. Showing his face means God looking on you with favorable eyes. See, the message is sealed. But there is still a message. And the message is that the saints are the sign that God is still working. Right? People say, man, how come God is not making miracles now? And when I look at this room, I'm saying he's still making miracles every day. Every single one of us is a miracle. Because we got changed from being sinners to being saints. We got changed from being enemies of the cross to being friends of the cross. We got changed from being workers of iniquity to sons of righteousness. That's a miracle. He says, behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me. Now, that's sovereignty, right? Who gave them to him? It was the Lord. Was it Isaiah's powerful preaching? No. Was it the intellect that he had? No, but he had those things, but that's not what caused it. It was God who gave him these children. But they are signs and portents. So when they say to you, inquire of these people, you need to be looking at them and say, why would I ask them for anything? They did. They're dead. They have no spiritual awareness. They can't produce a clear message. See, what happens is this. Those who offend God find that they can't get answers from God. So then they go outside of God to find answers. Finding nothing there, they then turn and curse God. And then they receive the penalty that is due them. The best example of this is Saul. Not New Testament Saul, Old Testament Saul. People wonder why he went to that necromancer, right? Why did he go to the witch of Endor? But if you read the story, there is a progression. See, it first started when he killed all the priests. People skip over that story. He killed all the priests. And the only priest who had the ability to speak directly to God ran and went to David. And then he said, anybody who allies with David is an enemy of me. Well, guess who was allies with David? All the prophets. Even Samuel said, I don't know what to do, Lord. Saul will kill me. In other words, the prophet of the Lord to whom he wanted to get an answer said, I can't go to you. You'll kill me. He offended God. Having offended God, he had to go to Endor. Endor is nowhere in Israel. So he had to go outside the confines of God's people. And then he still ended up trying to raise Samuel from the dead. Finding nothing that he wanted to hear from Samuel... He fell on the ground like a dead man. He went to battle and lost his life. And that's how the world is. I think of people in my family, my wife's family. You know, I love my dad, but my father-in-law, I love him too. My father-in-law is a preacher of God's word. 
He's a good preacher. You know some people have offended him. Some of his own children have poked their fingers in his eye. And then their life misses direction. Later on in life, they are seeking direction in the strangest of places. One of them is into astrology now. You can't get no answers from astrology. I'm, let me just be blunt. If anybody out there, if you're seeking through astrology, that's stupid. That's my deep theological response to what you're doing. That's incredibly stupid. And if you do it, you will not get answers. When you don't get answers, you know what you're going to do? You're going to blame God for being unfair. But that's what people do. People ignore God's word and then they blame God for the consequences of their own actions, which causes them to curse God. And when you curse God, don't think God is going to take that land there. Too often we have produced the image of this grandfatherly God who will do nothing to you, not realizing that we deal with a patient God who writes down every word we say in a book. Every man will be paid for his deeds, whether good or evil. He says, verse 22, they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be trust into thick darkness. What's that? That's hell. That's hell. Sad thing is, some people in hell already. But what does James 1, 6 and 16 and 17 say? Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift come from who? Come from God. You seeking for gifts somewhere else, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be perfect. But chapter 9 says this. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Chapter 9 is about reversals. See, I used to wrestle. And one of the coolest things about wrestling is you can do a reversal. What's a reversal? A reversal is when somebody appears to be getting the advantage of you and you reverse it around, and now you're taking the advantage of them. You flip the script on them. Chapter 9 is all about reversals. Verse 1 says, In former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now who was in Galilee all the time? I don't know of nobody, but I was trying to think about it. Who was in Galilee? They said Jesus of Nazareth. You mean Jesus, the one from Galilee? Galilee by the sea? How many of Jesus' stories happen in boats? That's right where he ministered. You see, that land went from gloom to light. That's the first reversal. Verse 2 completes that. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Verse 3 is a reversal, and it's a weird reversal, but it's this. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. What is multiplied the nation is talking about this. At one point in their history, there was so much joy because Israel was an empire. But now that Jesus has been revealed they will have even more joy than they ever had as an empire. That's the reversal. 
Verse 4. It's a clear reversal. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken. He was once oppressed. Now he is free. Verse 5 can be a difficult one to interpret, but think of it in this sense. He says, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What is he saying? The victory that you get from God is better than the victories you ever received in war. What happens when you fight a war? There's never been a war where there's been no casualties. But when Christ gets the victory, it's a complete victory. It says when he is on the rider on the white horse, he will simply speak and a sword will proceed from his mouth. All the enemies will be slayed. Kind of reminds me of video, a video game. You ever played a video game in a fighting game? They'll, if you beat the enemy and you don't even get hit, the game will say, perfect. <laughs> like it's a, in some games will even say, flawless victory, right? And the point is, is that there is something special about getting a victory and you don't even get touched. It's not common. To get a flawless victory is way better than to get a victory, even some of the greatest victories in Israel's history. Somebody had to die. Now, in this victory that we have, somebody does die, but he's alive. We had one casualty, and that was reversed. Why is all this happening? Because to us, a child is born. Now, we would think, oh, okay, man brought this about, but he clarifies that real quick. To us, a son is given. It's not the work of man. The government shall be upon his shoulder. The authority over men. And his name, when it speaks about name, it's talking about character. His name will be wonderful, miraculous, counselor. He is full of wisdom. He's shrewd. Now, at these two descriptions, we could think he's talking about a man at first. A great man, right? But that's not where he stops. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government of peace, there will be no end. Who could promise that? Who could run a presidential campaign and put that down as a promise? Who could say, I'll sit on the throne of David and over his kingdom and establish it and uphold it with perfect justice, perfect righteousness forevermore? Well, who's going to do it? The zeal or the Lord of hosts will do it. Who's going to do it? Not men. Who's going to do it? Not me. Who's going to do it? Not you. It's God alone who's going to do it. See, let's talk about this as we end. It's not easy to look to God as the source of all things. Because empires are always threatening. It don't matter where you go, you will find a threat, and it will look like a man or a man-caused problem. 
But you see, you got to understand that it's just like I train my drivers at work. I'm a manager of drivers. I work for a transportation company. And in that training, we talk about the fact that if you get too close to the car in front of you, you can't see far enough on the road ahead. And the analogy is, the principle of it is, is that we want our drivers to look at least 15 seconds ahead in the road. But it's impossible to do that if you're too close to somebody else because you'll constantly be looking at them and their bumper. And what does that mean for the saint? What it means for the saint is if we find ourselves too close to this world's problems, we will be unable to see God's solutions because we'll be too close, we'll be blinded. You ever been in a little car and you follow behind an SUV or a big old truck and then all of a sudden traffic slows down and you surprised? Why does that happen? Because you're not able to see ahead because you're too close. You're too close. Sometimes we get too close to this world's problems. Sometimes we take those things on as our campaign. How many times have I seen a Christian say, we're going to fight against world hunger? I can't tell you, as good as that sounds, that's one of the most ungodly things I've ever heard. That's not our fight. Let me say this again. World hunger is not our fight. I'm not saying it's bad to do, but if you think that that's your mission in life, that's not your mission. Not if you're a Christian. Now, if you want to be a worldly person, you can do that. Racial harmony is not our mission. World peace is not our mission. Giving clothes to everybody who doesn't have clothes is not our mission. Ending child abuse is not our mission. Ending spousal abuse is not our mission. Lowering the crime rate in the city of Milwaukee is not our mission. Our mission is serving God and serving him alone. And in the serving of him, we will accomplish some of those things. But Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. It's not easy to look at God as a source of all things because other times, other people seem like they have spiritual power. Other times, people seem like they're doing something miraculous where they are. But we have to have faith enough to understand that it's the saints and the word that have power enough. Sometimes it's not easy to look to God as a source of all things because we're going through rough times. But I had a conversation on Thursday. I was praying for a guy, one of Dwayne's sons. I was praying for him. Just so happened, as I go and get my haircut on Thursday to prepare, I'm sorry, to get my kids' haircut on Thursday, I run into him. So I spoke to him about the Word of God. In that speaking, one of the barbers came up and he quotes the scripture. And the second barber comes up and he quotes the scripture. And we all sitting there praising God. And one of the barbers gave this illustration about why it's so hard to look to God as a source of all things. And he gave it. It was a great illustration. Because he said, <coughs> he said, what do you do with a seed? 
Well, the first thing you do is you put dirt on it. And what do you do after that? You put manure on it. And the last thing that that seed things sees is the light. It will never see that light if it doesn't reach upwards. And it will only see that light if it fights through the dirt, the manure, the water, and everything else. And that's often how it is when we try to look towards God. There will always be obstacles. People will put dirt on you. People will throw manure on you, being polite. But it is reaching upwards to the sun. That's what gives us hope. The message of correction is don't walk like the world in the fear of man. And the corollary to this is if you don't speak according to this word, you have no dawn. What does it mean to have no dawn? It means there is no end to your night. The next lesson is if you fear him, he will be your sanctuary. So wait on the Lord. Fear him and he will save you. Beware looking at man or Satan's purpose, but not considering God's purpose. Too many people consider themselves to be spiritual when they say, oh, Satan is doing this, Satan is doing this. What is God doing? A brother is finna lead a church. And we sit there and we say, Satan is getting on him. Satan is doing this. What is God doing? What's God doing? That's what I want to know. And lastly, look to the Lord. The father laid his hand on the prophet. The father binds his testimony. The father's zeal will accomplish all of this. It is the spirit who both seals and unseals his word, and he shows God's miraculous power through his saints. It is the son who is a sanctuary and the stone of offense. He is the child that is born and son that is given. He is the wonderful counselor, mighty God everlasting father and prince of peace and these things are all given to us by God and I'll read one last time do not be deceived my beloved brothers every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of change of his own will he brought us forth by his word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truths therein. We pray that you just bless us to keep on reaching up to you. Keep on seeing you as a source of our hope, even the cause of our difficulties. You brought us through these difficult times, but you brought us to them. You purposed that we would go through funerals and that we would have birthdays. You purposed that we would have two funerals in a week and that we would have Christmas and New Year's coming up. You purposed all these things. And so we need to see your purpose in all the things. What are you trying to accomplish, Lord, with all these things? Help us to find your purpose. In your name we pray. Amen.